Well, that's all a barrel of laughs, isn't it? Do you think Jesus is just having a bad day? Well, it's even worse than that because he seems to contradict himself. Last week he said to us, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now he's talking about fire and division. And this is the gospel that uses the word peace more than any of the other three gospels. At Jesus' birth, angels announce peace on earth and goodness or goodwill to all. Now he says, do you think I've come to bring peace? No, but rather division. So what's going on here? What, what's it? I think one way into it is that peace was a big deal in Jesus' time. It was the main Roman project, what got to be known as Pax Romana. But peace for the Romans was quite different to the peace that the angels announced. Peace was basically violence until nobody says anything to anyone. That's peace. Because I can make you all shut up because I'm more powerful, it's quiet. That means peace. Tacitus, the Roman historian, has this famous quote that I'm sure you've heard. The Romans make a desert and call it peace. The Romans make a desert and call it peace. He was referring to one of the great revolts in the Celtic lands in Britain of Boudicca, who uh, later in the first century uh, revolted against Rome and there was an enormous destruction as Rome came in with a number of legions and they think maybe 80 or 100,000 people were slaughtered. That's why the angels say, peace on earth. And then they clarify what that means. It doesn't mean silence. It doesn't mean a Roman desert. Peace on earth and goodness to everyone. That's why the angels add that bit. So that everyone knows that this is not the peace that you're talking about. This is not the peace that is broadcast everywhere throughout the empire and throughout Palestine where Jesus and his disciples were. It's goodness to everyone. What Jesus is doing here, at least in one thing he's doing, is clarifying, clearing away things so we can clear away the propaganda and the rubbish and get to truth. The Roman world was full of propaganda chiselled literally into stone all over the world and you can still see them lying on the ground in various parts of the Middle East signs that said Prince of Peace meaning Augustus who happened to be the emperor uh, at the latter part of, of uh, at the early part of Jesus' life Divine Emperor Son of God Pax Romana it was everywhere and of course it's in our world too. We, we are overwhelmed by propaganda and by an influence to try and make us think and feel a certain way. That's how advertising works, isn't it? The advertising used to advertise things. Here is the thing. Here is a problem. This thing will fix that problem. You should buy one of them. 
Advertising doesn't do that anymore. At least most of it doesn't. Most of advertising now is, wouldn't your life be more extraordinary? Wouldn't it be more real if you lived like this, in this house, or with this vehicle, or with these set of clothes? It's about wanting, it's about feeding the hunger that we have to be real and authentic. But as we know, it's like a, a diet of fairy floss. You know, you, you could sort of technically say it's food. Any kid that you happen to be with when you go to the Royal Show will definitely try and convince you it's food. But it's not really, is it? It doesn't last very long and it doesn't nourish very much. That hunger for something real and authentic is, is, is a part of all of us and as it was in Jesus' time. And so the need to clear that all away was so central to what Jesus was doing. And he does that in three ways in this text. First he says fire. I came to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But fire for a good Jew, the people who were listening to Jesus and Jesus himself had grown up in the teachings of the Hebrew scriptures that we sometimes call the Old Testament. Fire was always about refining. It was the refiner's fire. It was that you put something into the fire so that you would get out of it the truth. It would burn away all the dross and what you would get would be pure metal. Revealing truth. And of course truth, as we get it in the Gospel of John, which as much as Luke is obsessed with the idea of peace, John is, is obsessed with the idea of truth. Truth essentially is things as they really are, not things as you think they're supposed to be or things as you wish they were or things as they used to be, but things as they really are. That's truth. And the Hebrew scriptures talk about fire many, many times as a being about refining, about burning things down till you get to the truth. And the truth is not always pleasant, is it? When I look in the mirror in the morning and I see an old man looking back at me, I think, well, that's not right. But that's the truth. That's what you see. But I kind of think, I'm surprised. Some, some mornings more than others. Depends on you know, what I was doing the night before. But it's sometimes difficult to face the truth of the deep flaws that I've been carrying all of my life and exacerbating. But just as hard to do is to face the truth of the reality of my, if you like, gloriousness and yours. Do you remember Nelson Mandela in 94 when he spoke in his inaugural address as the first president of the Republic of South Africa? He quoted the words of Marion uh, Williams, a, a, um, an American author. That most of us had not heard before. I'd never heard of this woman and not uh, heard these words. Um, but Marion Williamson said this, and, and Nelson Mandela quoted her. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You. Mandela is saying this to the entire nation of South Africa. You are a child of God. 
I know more about my flaws than you do. And you probably know some. And the more you get to know me, (laughs) the more you'll see. But I don't remember so much about the gloriousness of who I am. And I bet you're the same. The revealing of truth, the refiner's fire, reveals all truth. Yes, all the stuff that you didn't do that you should have done. All the stuff you did that you shouldn't have done. But it reveals the essence, what the Franciscan author Richard Raw calls the immortal diamond that is you. So it's clearing away the dross. But Jesus also talks about baptism. I have a baptism with which to be baptised and what stress I am under until it is completed. Baptism is the ritual of dying and being reborn. Jesus knows at this point in his public ministry, because of the things that have already happened, that if he keeps going the way he is, there's no possibility of him surviving. The crushing power of Rome uh, funneled through the power of the temple in Jerusalem means that anyone who stands up the way Jesus continues to do and speaks the truth to power that Jesus continues to do is in trouble. So he knows that that this baptism for him, it will be a literal death. And the church has always insisted that the rebirth of Jesus was a a, a literal resurrection, a coming back into being in a new way. And our baptism, when we engage in it, is a ritual death. It's the fa- we, we put to death the fantasy that we can do this all by ourselves, that we are a self-made person. We put it all to death and we recognise that we need community. That's why we baptise people in community. There are some faiths, uh, some parts of our faith that we're happy to do that um, separately and just the family or whatever. But no, we, we say it's got to be done with all of us the whole motley crew of us, because this person is, being, is dying to all that, that, that individualism and coming to be alive in community. It's a ritual birth. It's to experience the, uh, the real true nature of the world as one of God's offspring, as somebody who, like you look like your parents, you look like God. That's what the Bible tells us. This is such a radical thing that Jesus talks about it as basically being born again. That's how radical it is. That's what's going on in truth-telling, the refiner's fire, in coming into the new life that Jesus is talking about. This is a whole world of newness. And then he says division. Do you think I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, rather division. But what kind of division is it? You notice the division that he talks about is the division between generations. It's the kind of division that you and I need to do in order to go from being a child to being an adult. It's that painful process that we have, painful for us as children and painful for us as parents, those of us who are, in that separation. I never wanted my 17-year-old to be dependent on me. I wanted them, my, my son and my daughter, to grow into independence. independence. And we, we tussled with that and we got through it and because they needed to separate themselves out. We need to examine as children what we inherited from our parents, the stuff we're stuck with, our genes and the way we look, and the stuff that we were given sometimes on purpose and sometimes by accident, that we have to figure out for ourselves whether it's us whether this is the adult we want to be. Do I want my life to look like my dad's or my mum's? 
Well, yes in part and no in part. And I have to figure that out for myself. That's what becoming an adult means, isn't it? It's leaving behind all the childhood fantasies, all that idea that somebody will rescue me when things get tough. Because they did when I was five. I was lucky I had good parents who did rescue me as a kid. But they can't do that when I'm 30. It's courageously facing the truth as it is. Paul puts it this way in, in Corinthians. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. And I thought like a child. And I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish things. Reality and truth is what Jesus is bringing into the world. That's what he's bringing into your life and mine. That's why it's so hard some of the time. Because we're constantly being brought forward to look at reality the way it is. Look at ourselves the way we are. All the rubbish and all the goodness. And the people around us. And the culture in which we live. That's why he talks about weather forecasting. We know how to do weather forecasting. You need two things to do weather forecasting. You need good eyes to see what's going on. And you need a library of information as to what happened last time this thing happened. So when the wind comes from the south, always in the past this has happened. So my forecast is the wind is coming from the south, this is what will happen. And sure enough, as Jesus says, it does. That's what forecasting is. It's already there, plain as day. And Jesus, all the time in this gospel, goes on about being able to, to, <coughs> excuse me, to look but truly see. Everyone's looking, but who's really seeing? And he says, we're hypocritical. Because we can do that with the weather. But we don't take the same way of living into the, the way we normally and always are. We don't take it into the, what it means to be us. We don't see all the things that we need to take from the past, from our parents, from our church history. The church history our church history is checkered. Our, your church, this church here, the, the global church, it's always checkered. It's full, it's, the problem is it's full of people like you and me. If it had some perfect people in it, of course then they wouldn't let us in, so, you know, that... Doesn't work. Does it, it's checking. So we have to take what is what we know from the past and carry it with us. But we have to perceive and look and see, and we have to do that all the time. It's exhausting. It's exhausting to face the truth, isn't it? But that's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. Into what He goes on and on about in the Gospel of Luke. That is what the kingdom of God is. That's what He does over and over again. Because out of, water, out of fire <clears throat> comes pure, refined metal. Glorious. Out of water comes a baptised person, reborn to life. And out of the covering and the shadow of the parent comes the grown person, able to live fully and autonomously alive in the world. And that's what I think this painting will do. This is uh, by Mark Rothko, one of the, the famous American mid-century 
uh, abstract painters. Much of his work is quite dark and brooding. He appeared to be quite a dark and brooding man who sadly ended his own life. But in the middle of his career, he painted, and this was painted in 1957, it's called Saffron. And I would like that to be me, shining. Not all shining, just a bit would be enough. So that's where we'll stop. Amen.